0: DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We just gave away some jazz tickets, and PK, Yeah, coming from families of teachers, we both felt bad about Kurt not getting hooked up. Kurt, if you're listening, call back in, 855-340-ZONE. I can't tell you why, Kurt, but just call back in, 855-340-ZONE. Oh, Zone. The
1: yes. Oh, sweet.
0: Kurt, if you know Kurt, this is a small town, right? Somebody knows Kurt. If he's not listening now, tell him to call back in, 855-340-ZONE, Kurt. Help us out, Small Lake City. Yeah, Small Lake City, come through. Somebody knows Kurt. Make sure he calls in.
1: Kurt and Denise, yeah. 42 years she taught.
0: Yep. Yak yeah, is waiting for you, Kurt, to put a smile on your face. 855 340 Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's time to bring in David Locke. His weekly interview brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good, good. We are. I, I, uh, did, I didn't know that
2: Yak was such a stick. I just found out that Yach, PK, if you take your money.
1: Oh, he, I mean he can you're talking if you're talking golf uh Yeah. N- no, but I mean he can hit it a mile and a half, man. That's for sure.
2: Oh. He does not he doesn't take your money though, huh? Uh
1: well, he's he's on the low end, so I should probably give him some money, but uh you uh, you're, just, you're short and, you're short and steady and he's long and all over the place, huh? Uh, That's an accurate description. I think Yock would agree to that in the number of several times we've played. He he can really hit it way beyond I can. That's for sure.
2: We'll just call him Bryson Yock.
1: Yeah. Please don't. <laughs> no, just Bryce.
0: no, 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 no. Uh, no, no.
1: Jake Deschambeau, but, but Jake can <laughs> really but back, back. In fact, both Jakes at our station hit it a long yes, way. Yes, I've played with them many times. All
0: just disappears over yeah, the horizon.
1: Two of those guys, both, both of our Jakes can really get some distance. Where'd
0: that go? I don't know. I can't see that far. All right, David. You hate the frickin' Lakers. That's a famous, <laughs> famous drop. Uh, great and, rant. And now LeBron is out in the first round for the first time in his career. How satisfying do you see it, and how wide open do things look to you in the West now? I mean, they're wide open, right? They were the team that, if right, was able to
2: dictate um, what was taking place. They're 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 the team that, um, was with their personnel and right and playing well, you know, just they they could beat you. They they could beat everyone if they were right. They beat everyone. They just never were right all year. And then they fiddled with their roster in ways that I didn't like in the off season. We'll never know whether they were right or not. But Dennis Schroeder's an inefficient offensive player. And I didn't, I didn't love that move as much as everyone else did. Um, I thought it was bold that they won a championship and changed up as much. And then their whole mantras Harold Patrick, uh, Marcus Gasol, Andre Drummond center thing just never, ever came together, and they never actually knew what they were doing with it. So, I mean, they're just a team that was never together this year, largely due to injuries. I think it would be naive to not think that the short offseason hurt them. Um, but what's interesting to me right now is if you go on to nba.com/stats and you pull up the the teams and rank them by differential, which is always kind of the best way to to judge of the le- of the nine teams that are left, I think differential rankings 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 and 7 are all still alive. Oh, like, you say differential, was, could you explain that? So, offensive efficiency minus defensive efficiency, so it's or point differential, whichever way you want to do it. Just, you know, what your if you outscored your – we, I think, outscored our opponents on an average by, like, what, 10 points a game this year or something like that? It was one of the high like, 15th best rating of all time. Um, like, so we're, we are the number one differential. The Clippers are two, so if they go out that – that's the real story, frankly. If the Clippers lose tonight, that's the massive upset to what we've seen based on the season. The Lakers' massive upset of losing to Phoenix is the second-best team in the NBA all season long – Beat the team that was projected to be, but never actually was the best team in the league this year, um, and I think that that's you know that's a different upset to me than if the Mavericks actually just go beat the Clippers tonight. That to me is a stunner. That's that's a team that performed at a level we sh- they showed us they had times they were clearly the best team in the league at times this year, and for them to lose tonight would be a massive upset in the NBA landscape. That to me is actually bigger than if the Lakers
0: lose tonight. We're losing yesterday. So, I'm curious what you think of uh, the Suns-Nuggets matchup. I think if the Suns were healthy, I would pick them. Nuggets. What did I say? Suns. It, Suns and Nuggets. If the Suns were healthy in the second round. They are. Chris Paul's not healthy. Well, compared to Jamal Murray, is. Okay, you got me there. <laughs> but, but with Chris Paul the way he is, I think I like the Nuggets. Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy
2: at all. But I mean, the Nuggets really have no backcourt, and they somehow survived that last series with Portland. Um, you know, um, I'm really surprised Portland fell out like that. I thought Portland actually was going to win that series, and I actually thought Portland might go to the Western Conference Finals. I'm I'm stunned. Um, They had really put together some unique things in their roster and the addition of Norman Powell and the health of Nurkic. Um, So I think you have to give Denver a ton of credit because I think they did beat a pretty good team this week in Portland. Um, Jokic is great, and everyone who plays with him gets better, right? Like, I think that's where Jokic is way different than every other superstar in this league right now. Not way different because other players do, but, like, you know, if you think about a Russell Westbrook, he puts up great numbers. No one has gotten better while playing with Russell Westbrook. Um, the right, right now, the the two guys that actually seem to make everyone better when they play with them are Jokic and Gobert. Gobert makes everyone better because of was pick setting his defense. Jokic just makes everyone better, and like you, everyone can survive as long as they're playing with Jokic, and then he makes enough plays. So I don't think you're crazy because of the respect I also have for Denver. Just in. Like, they just won't die, right? They just will not die. They're they're amazing. They're the one team that's left in the Final Four last year. They actually have the best three-year playoff record kind of in the league now. Um, you know, they deserve a world of credit for where they are and who they are as a franchise right now and what they've done. So um, I don't think you're crazy at all. I do think Phoenix is really, really good. Like, for all of us sitting in Utah that complain that no one gives us any credit, yeah. Phoenix pretty much mirrored our season – And so if we're asking for credit, we probably should give Phoenix that same credit. They're really, really good. And DeAndre Eaton is the number one pick of the draft, and he looks like it. Like, he's been fabulous.
1: So I want to know how much did you think that the Jazz dominated the Memphis Grizzlies? Because I understand you're a homer announcer, and that's wrong.
2: Wow, is that bull crap or what? (laughs) Jesus. Excuse me. I mean, seriously, how low rent did you just become
1: as a fellow journalist? (laughs) so did they dominate them in your mind yeah i don't think that series was close at all
2: like those games were exciting and memphis made runs and memphis was impressive but like other like i never thought the jazz were ever going to lose the series i watched game one and if you listen to anything i said after game one is like we're totally fine once we get donovan every problem we had in game one was no donovan and the idea that a series gets close and then a team goes on a 12-0 run to close the game like that's the nba and the idea that you didn't hold a 10-point lead is, like, really, you don't get the league at all. Like, teams in the playoffs, you're not going to hold a 10-point lead. Like, that's the way the league works, particularly with the propensity of threes. And Memphis was shooting a lot of them, more than usual. So the fact that games, like, swung, like, eight or nine points, which is really almost nothing, that series was not close. We were up 20 in, what, three of the four wins?
0: We led you for haven't, all you haven't eight hit the eight minutes of the four games. There it is. Like, come on. There that's To me, that's the stat that bolsters your case, was for all the runs the Grizzlies made, they rarely took the lead.
2: All right, they led for eight minutes, and they led for no more than a minute in the second half of either of the final like two or three games. That series was not close. It was exciting, but that's not the same. It was not close. PK. Yes. You'd be totally fired up, wouldn't you? You would have reacted <laughs> just like I did. Come on, admit it. <laughs> Like, admit it, you would have been totally fired up.
1: Uh, Yeah, I
2: probably wouldn't have gone back on Twitter, It broke, like,
1: every code of everything, right? (laughs) Uh, I guess that's the way it's supposed to go these days, though, and I I don't know what to say on that. But, yeah, I try not to to go after uh, compatriots in the media and all that, and I I certainly not to have... Like to have Twitter arguments, it doesn't seem to solve anything. Have, solve, thank you. Thank <laughs> it doesn't you. They, solve anything. They, there you Everyone come. just
0: but, yells and then goes away, thinking the same thing they thought
1: when they showed up. But uh, you know, I'm more along the lines of your camp as far as uh, they they did what they needed to do, especially when they needed to do it. And I think that was the most important thing. They asserted their will at the exact times that it needed to be asserted. that's the Obviously, winning the series is the overriding uh, factor in what you want, but when you look at it, and the way I looked at it, is that when they needed to do what they needed to do, they did it. You know, They needed to win game two. We talked about this earlier in the week. They needed to win game two, obviously. You don't want to go down to, uh, 2-0 with two home losses. And then you needed to win on the road. You needed to get a game. And so the best game to get is game three. So I look at games two and three. uh, They did exactly what they needed to do. And they obviously winning game four helped too. and then in game five, You know Memphis is an upstart team, and it's looking like they've got a nice future. We'll see what they can do to build upon it. But what you want to do is slam the door shut on their ability to have any startling game because the last thing you want to do is get on a plane and go to Memphis and all the hassle that that involves. You just don't want to do that. So in my mind there was three times they need to answer the bell so to speak and they did all each every all three times they answered it and they re, and in my mind they answered it in a resounding fashion so i'm more in your camp i thought um i'm 100% with you obviously um i
2: actually thought the other one if you read, and i thought it at the time and then it didn't totally feel like that but then when i rewatched the game it felt like it like more and I actually think this is more to do with what Memphis had been through to get to this point. But I, what was the quarter, the third quarter? The Jazz scored 40 points in game four. Is that right? hmm I thought they broke their spirit in that. I thought the series was over. They broke their spirit in the middle of that quarter. And you could see it. And then Memphis made, like, a nice little rally. But actually, if you go back and look at game four, I think we're up 10 with, like, two minutes left. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, you win 99. Like, our, our win probability, despite the fact Memphis made a little run in game four, our win probability was, like, in the 90s the entire fourth quarter. Um, so, I actually thought, to add on to your list of things, I thought the other one was that they broke their spirit. And the spirit, when I say they broke their spirit, let's phrase that comment a little bit. Let me rephrase I think they mentally cracked Memphis. And But that mental crack for Memphis is because of the fact that Memphis had, like, played basically seven or eight super important playoff-esque games to close the season, played do or die against San Antonio, played do or die against Golden State, and at some point when you're exhausted and running uphill, it's over, mentally. Like, you just... And that's what the Jazz did to them. And that's what they should have done to them. And that's also why, like, if we go back to all of our conversations we had during the like months leading up and you guys would always ask me, does the one seed matter? And I was pretty dominant. I was like pretty stringent in saying, yes, the one seed really matters because the team you're playing will have had to play two playoff games already. Plus they will have had to be a, you know, race to those playoff games and you're going to get a tired team. Uh, It's the same way. If I think, I know my comments hamstrings an issue, but if Mike Conley's hamstring is really an issue like it has been every other time, it's 14 days. So it has, he's yet to come back from this in less than 14 days over the last two years if it's, the, if it's the same thing he's had every other time. I don't know that, but if it is. So it doesn't actually matter if we start Sunday or Tuesday, which means like I'm passionately rooting for Dallas today. Because the whole reason you want to be the one seed is you get the easier series against Memphis, who's tired because of all the things we just mentioned, while they go well, the four or five goes to war with each other in a basketball sense, and then they finish tonight at eleven o'clock at night, board to plane tomorrow and play at 1:30 without a single time to get on the court and practice of what the Utah Jazz do. Like that's a massive advantage. And frankly, Joe Ingles as point guard against Dallas has a lot better chance of success than Joe Ingles as point guard against the Clippers. Why? Uh, Clippers can switch one through five with Marcus Morris starting at center. And so then you're forced into an isolation game, which is Joe's weakness, rather than running the high pick and roll against a drop big. Um, And uh, uh, Joe struggles with kind of the physical Dylan Brooks, Jay Crowder, Mikkel Bridges type defense at least that's my opinion he could disagree um when they're up in on him that tight it's frankly at six eight it's harder to dribble when you're taller it's easier to dribble at six one um and dallas doesn't play that same style of defense and being guarded by tim hardaway or maxi kleba or um Dor- dorian finney smith is good but he's not Kawhi leonard or paul george and without mike conley um they could really put patrick you know they could, The Clippers could bring Patrick Beverly off the the dustpan or whatever, the mothballs, since they didn't play him last series, and put him in on Joe. They could put Beverly on Donovan while putting Kawhi Leonard on Joe. The Clippers just have so many defensive options, plus they're likely switching one through five, where Dallas doesn't have the same amount of defensive options, and they're likely dropping the big, which means Joe can play the pick and roll and make Przingis move, Um, and you just get a much better Joe Ingles,
0: and as of right now, Joe Ingles is the key to our playoff success. So the Dallas Mavericks finished five games behind the Clippers in the standings. Granted, the Clippers were tanking. It could have been more than that. Uh, and the Clippers' net rating is almost four points better than the Mavs. So why in the world are the Mavs up 3-2? to two? Why in the world has the road team won five straight games? And it's all going to come back to the Clippers' chemistry or lack thereof. So
2: some of this is explainable and some of this is not. The five road wins is not explainable. Let's move on. Um, Dallas is better than their ratings. They got hit by COVID really, really badly. And you kind of actually have to look at Dallas. Um, There was the, remember there was the ice freeze storm in Dallas Mm -hmm. and they ended up having like a five day training camp because they couldn't play. And if you, you kind of have to look at Dallas from that point on in the season as who they are as a team and then their ratings are much better though they have had probably the widest fluctuation of performance of any good team in the league this year um throughout just sometimes being on and sometimes being off and their shooting has been abnormally good in the series um so in the make or miss league element of things they they simply just outperform norms in the f- two of the f- actually in the first three games they lost one of them which is what's a little disconcerting um, for whether if you're rooting for Dallas tonight, I kind of think the Clippers are going to win just because that game three bothers me. Dallas shot 53% from three and lost. Um, and when you're doing that, like that's that's a bad script for the future of your series. Um, and then I do, but I just think that, yes, this I'm not big into the whole, you know me, guys. I'm not into like the heart and the this and the that, but there's just something not... Quite right on the Clippers. Now again, Dallas won the first two games because they had abnormal shooting nights. Um, but Game Five bothers me. Like I, the Clippers, kind of, I thought had that in control. And I went back and rewatched the second half of that game yesterday. And you know they're up in the third quarter and they're at home and they Kawhi's rolling and PG's okay, playing pretty well. And then that momentum just doesn't hold through the fourth quarter in a straight, in kind of an. Now, the Dallas is much better than Memphis, but in kind of the opposite way of what we just talked about, like, the Jazz kind of just kept going forward in that series. Is like they were playing well, and even if Memphis kind of was going, then the Jazz still... But, yeah, the Clippers just didn't keep it going, and it was strange to me, and Paul George had some turnovers late, and he's just such a bad playoff player. Um, So I, I just... there's. I was a big Clipper believer, but I also believed in a team that had Serge Ibaka and Luke Kennard contributing because I thought they both added things to this group. Um, I bought the narrative that had kind of been percolated around the league, that Montres Harold, Patrick Beverly, and Lou Williams were a locker room problem, and that what they had done is purged their locker room problem, and they were much better because of it. I, I actually fully bought that. I'd kind of heard that was a common thread, that they had actively tried to trade Patrick Beverly um, at throughout the last year and that they had been actively letting – they were perfectly – they never offered Montrose Harrell a contract on purpose um, and that they had actively tried to trade Lou Williams, which they finally did. So those all kind of – that story was percolating last year and then this year their actions showed to me that that was true. And so I, I, I was all in on the Clippers. Watching them this series has been um, – telling me that there's still
1: something missing, I can't, you know, statistically it's not there. They're still, frankly, great. So you're putting Joe Ingles in the spotlight, and you believe that he's very critical to the success of the next series. Uh, any concern that he sort of, we viewed him as slumping in the first series? Oh, yeah.
2: Um, I mean, and I'm not trying to, like, put Joe Ingles in the spotlight, but he just became our 20-minute-a-night backup point guard when Mike, you know, the beauty of the Jazz is that multiple pick-and-roll ball handlers, Joe, Mike, right. and Donovan, all equally great at it, all top 15 when uh, ball handlers in the NBA in the pick and the pick-and-roll. So, therefore, if you have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and you're trying to clamp down, we'll just swing it to the third guy and make the play when Memphis puts Dylan Brooks somewhere, who actually turns out to not be near the defender everybody thinks he is. If you're patient in an offensive possession, you you kind of work it around. We we can come from multiple angles. We can come with multiple guys, and then we have multiple shooters and scorers. That's the that multiplicity is what makes us so terrific. And so you lose Mike Conley, you lose one of those shooters, and you lose one of those ball handlers, and so it just increases. And Joe's the one whose role changes. So I'm not trying to be unfair to Joe in any way, shape, or form, and I think he's perfectly capable of it. But that's the reality of what makes us great. And if you don't have Mike Conley for a little while, then Joe's the one that picks that up. And Joe's been great at it. I mean, our record when Mike Conley doesn't play has been fine because Joe's been terrific. Um, I did think Joe was strange in that series. It's the only way from someone I've watched every game of his career. I've just never seen him, like, signal to throw the ball. Like, there were just times when there was a play where – He brought the ball up the floor, quickly gave it to George Niang. And then as he's running the route, the offensive play is for Joe to go to the corner. Joe doesn't really run the route, and he signals to George to pass it to somebody else. And then when the pass comes to Joe, he actually gets it stripped by Kyle Anderson. And it was just like the most un-Joe Ingles play I've seen, right? Like Joe usually is playing with a tenacity and a fire, and he's strong with the ball. And like just it was – Everything about it was not Joe Ingalls, and maybe that's you know one play, but there were also yeah. the other times, and some of these are smart and unselfish, where you know someone's bodying up on him in the backcourt at ninety feet, and he's trying to get free on the inbound, and he just signals to throw it to somebody else, and I just I guess I wanted Joe to just you know say like you know screw you, I'm getting the ball, I'm bringing it up the floor, get off me, and um, I just didn't see that out of him in the series, but I, I don't have any doubts that he can do it in the next series.
0: Sure. I think whether it's Joe or it's anybody else, and this also goes for guys on the other team, I think unless you're a real superstar, you know, we know who those guys are, and there's only a handful of them, that in the playoffs we see series where players struggle and we see another series where a player excels, and just because they struggle doesn't mean they're going to struggle in the next one. And just because they excel in one, hey, the matchup, may re- the schemes may really work for them, and that doesn't mean they're going to excel in the next one. So I feel like there's a reset that goes on in the playoffs based on the opponent. Are you trying to say you don't think that Isaiah Thomas should have given Jerome James a five-year contract based on his matchup <laughs> with the Sacramento Kings in a
2: single <laughs> <What>? playoff Wow. <laughs> that's,
1: oh, that's a
2: bull. That's pretty specific.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I think you're on to something. No, but I think what you I, said I when you wait were thing, breaking want, wait, down. Wait wait,
2: wait, wait, wait. Wait a second. I want to make sure I made a joke out of it. What David just said is super important the biggest mistakes that get made in the NBA uh, analysis world, and frankly by some NBA GMs, as we just proved, is this, this, this idea that a, in a singular series shows that a player has broken through or hasn't broken through or some, yeah. some long-lasting deci- thought about a player based on playing the same opponent for five or six games in a row is a, is a catastrophic way to make
1: decisions. I agree. We see it in the NCAA tournament. Guys who have good NCAA tournaments get great draft spots, and they're not very good. Ed O'Bannon. Yes. So I
0: thought that's what, when you were breaking down how the Mavericks defend differently – than the Clippers. I thought that was a great example of, well, who you face in a series can really determine how well you play because your, your matchup can change so dramatically because, let's face it, the Mavs just don't have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George chasing people around on the wings. Well, okay, if we want to
2: isolate Joe some more, I mean, he is the mo-
0: the best host on this
2: show, so I figure <laughs> ah! we should talk about him some more.
1: um. Station.
2: In his last two playoff series, he was not very good against Houston. He was pretty good against Denver, and so just really, you know, overgeneralizing. But they're the two different defenses we're talking about. Yeah, Houston switched everything one through five. Denver played Jokic as a drop most of that series.
0: Yeah, Joe has been on the air multiple times saying that his uh, the the. F- The series against Houston, where they just overplayed him and forced him to his right hand all the time, like that determined for he and Quinn exactly what he was going to do that summer. It was like the easiest conversation ever. You got to work on your right hand. Oh, I absolutely have to work on my right hand. You know, it was just, it was miserable, and he knew he had to fix it. Um,
2: I mean, that's a great part of his. Story and his evolution as a player and his development, right? He's it's actually more than that. I mean, if you actually go back and look at him, right, he used to have a slow release, now he has a quick release. If you go back and yeah. look at him, he used to be just catch and shoot, not off the bounce. Okay, you used to look at him, he could only run pick and roll one way, and Quinn Snyder was so great that he ran in pick and roll one way all the time and covered up that fact. I mean, Joe's development, skill development over the last seven years is really remarkable, and and they're actually really noticeable statistically. I mean, he used to be four catch-and-shoot threes a game and .5 off-the-bounce threes a game. Uh, now he's actually more off-the-bounce threes than he is catch-and-shoot, and to have his three-point shooting percentage be better than it was before is astronomical, because an off-the-bounce three is a much more difficult shot than a catch-and-shoot three, and an off-the-bounce three you can create for yourself and really screw the defense um, whereas, you know, something has to happen if you're a catch and shoot guy. So if you're a catch and shoot guy that can't go both directions with the dribble as he was when he played Houston in that series and they're switching one through five, he can't get the catch and shoot because they're hugging the shooters because they're switching and you can't, um, and you can't get You have to beat guys isolation one-on-one on switching and they know that and they know how you play. Then you, you're right. You're absolutely zeroed. But two years later, Joe now can play off the bounce three-point self-created game um, on the high pick and roll. He can go right or left on the pick and roll with the same abilities. He's better, obviously, going left. And Quinn does just a masterful job of on a play sets of getting him that. Um, but that's a sign of Joe's evolution as a player and how much better he's become in that he's still not a good isolation player that's like in you know what that's our our kryptonite is teams that can switch one through five we got way better at it during the season but physical teams that switch one through five and are able to top lock our our wing players that seems to be the defense that has caused us the most problems and phoenix plays it um better than anyone else in the league and you know we've had our worst offensive games against phoenix so back to where we started this conversation i would suggest root for dallas tonight and root for denver
0: all right, and there it is. He's David Locke. He hates the frickin' Lakers, and he's very happy so right now. Sweet. Now he, needs, now he <laughs> needs a couple more things to break his way. David, I thank you very much. much. I,
2: I, do th- I do think it's important, by the way. Dallas wins tonight. That's a far bigger story than the Lakers losing. I mean, from a basketball standpoint. I get from a national TV standpoint. But from like, the way the season's gone, if the number two differential team in the league loses tonight, that's an incredible story.
0: That's a massive collapse. David Locke, you'll hear him on the call whenever series number two, round two, starts. Could be Sunday at 1.30, but it might be next week, maybe Tuesday night. David, thank you very much. See ya. All right. Hey, Yak, have we heard from Kurt yet? Yak, have we heard from Kurt yet? We did hear from Kurt. We got him taken Nice. Care. Got that all, all taken care of. We did. Excellent. So we took Kurt care of him. Kurt had a heck of a story, so we're glad he got taken care and of. by the way, I do want to give a special shout-out. We gave Austin tickets. Uh, when I was uh-huh. talking to him to give him his tickets, getting his information, he actually generously offered to pass on taking those tickets to give them to Kurt. So Austin, Austin is a good dude. He, he even deserves some commendation as well, but we took care of both of them, so we're good to go. Excellent. So those of you who heard, Kurt had a great story about his wife, and we gave the tickets to some other people, but we want to make sure we got them taken care of too. So uh, Kurt's going to be going to, to uh, another game. He will have another opportunity. So, Excellent. All right, we're going to uh, take a break right now. When we come back, everything you missed in this show will get you up to speed next.